0: Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now in The Sapphire Planet. The International Space Station, also known as the ISS, is a space station or a habitable artificial satellite in low Earth orbit it is a modular structure whose first component was launched in 1998. Now, the largest artificial body in orbit, it can be seen with the naked eye from Earth. Each permanent crew is given an expedition number. Expeditions run up to six months from launch until undocking. An increment covers the same time period but includes cargo ships and all activities. Expeditions 1 to 6 consisted of three-person crews. Expeditions 7 to 12 were reduced to the safe minimum of two following the destruction of of the NASA Shuttle Columbia. From Expedition 13, the crew gradually increased to six around the year 2010. With the arrival of the American commercial crew vehicles in the middle of the 2010s, expedition size may be increased to seven crew members, the number the International Space Station was designed for. Sergei Kurikolev, member of Expedition 1 and commander of Expedition 11, has spent more time in space than anyone else, a total of 803 days and 9 hours and 39 minutes. His awards include the Order of Lenin, Hero of the Soviet Union, Hero of the Russian Federation, and four NASA medals. On August 16th, two thousand and five at 1.44 AM Eastern Daylight Time, he passed the record of seven hundred and forty eight day- days held by Sergi Andevia, who had time traveled one fiftieth of a second into the future on board the Smear spacecraft. He has also participated in psychosocial experiments which examine intercultural and other stress factors affecting integration of crews in preparation for the International Space Station flights. Commander Michael Fink has also spent a total of 382 days in space, more than any other American astronaut. Travelers who pay for their own passage into space are termed spaceflight participants by Roscosmos and NASA and are sometimes informally referred to as space tourists, a term they generally dislike. All seven were transported to the International Space Station on Russian Soyuz spacecraft. When professional crews change over, numbers not divisible by three seats in a Soyuz and a short-stay crew member is not sent, the spare seat is sold by Mircorp through Space Adventures. When the space shuttle retired in 2011 and the station's crew size was reduced to 6, space tourism was halted as the partners relied on Russian transport seats for access to the station. Soyuz flight schedules increase after 2013 Allowing five Soyuz flights or 15 seats, with only two expeditions, 12 seats required. The remaining seats are sold for around $40 million US to members of the public who can pass a medical. European Space Agency and NASA criticized private space flight at the beginning of the International Space Station and NASA initially resisted training Dennis Tito, the first man to pay for his own passage to the ISS. Toyohiro Akiyama was flown to Mir for a week. He was classified as a business traveler because as his employer... Tokyo Broadcasting Systems paid for his ticket, and he gave a daily TV broadcast from orbit. Onoushe Anasari became the first Iranian in space and the first self-funded woman to fly to the station. Officials reported that her education and experience make her much more than a tourist, and her performance and training had been excellent. Anasari herself dismisses the idea that she is a tourist. She did Russian and European studies involving medicine and microbiology during her 10-day stay. The documentary Space Tourists follows her journey to the station where she fulfilled an age-old dream of man to leave our planet as a normal person and travel into outer space. Spaceflight participant Richard Garriott placed a geocache aboard the International Space Station during his flight. This is currently the only non non terrestrial geocache in existence. The International Space Station is maintained in a nearly circular orbit with a maximum mean altitude of 330 kilometers or 205 miles and a maximum of 410 kilometers or 255 miles. In the center of the thermosphere, at an inclination of 51.6 degrees to Earth's equator, necessary to ensure that Russian Soyuz and Progress spacecraft launched from the Baknor Cosmodrome may be safely launched to reach the station. Spent rocket stages must be dropped into uninhabited area, and this limits the direction rockets can be launched from spaceport. The orbital inclination chosen was also low enough to allow American space shuttles launched from Florida to reach the ISS. The space station travels at an average speed of 27,724 kilometers per hour or 17,227 miles per hour and completes 15 and a half orbits per day at 93 minutes per orbit. The station's altitude was allowed to fall around the time of each NASA's shuttle mission. Orbital boost burns would generally be delayed until after the shuttle's departure. This allowed shuttle payloads to be lifted with the station's engines during the routine firings, rather than have the shuttle lift itself and the payload together to a higher orbit. This trade-off allowed heavier loads to be transferred to the station. After the retirement of the NASA shuttle, the nominal orbit of space station was raised in altitude. Other, more frequent supply ships do not require this adjustment, as they are substantially lighter vehicles. Orbital boosting can be performed by the station's two main engines on the VESDA service module or Russian or European spacecraft docked at the VESDA AF port. The ATV has been designed with the possibility of adding a second docking port to its other end, allowing it to remain at the ISS and still allow other craft to dock and boost the station. It takes approximately two orbits or three hours, for the boost to a higher altitude to be completed. In December 2008, NASA signed an agreement with the Ad Astra Rocket Company, which may result in the testing on the International Space Station of a VASMIR plasma propulsion engine. This technology could allow station-keeping to be done more economically than currently present. The Russian orbital segment, also known as the ROS, contains the station's engines and control bridge, which handles guidance, navigation, and control, known as GNC, for the entire station. Initially, Zarya the first model of the station, controlled the station until a short time after the Russian service module, VESDA, docked and was transferred control. VESDA contains the European Space Agency's built DMSR data management system. Using a two fault tolerant computers, VESDA computes the station's position and orbital trajectory using redundant Earth-horizon sensors, solar horizon sensors as well as sun and star trackers. The fault-tolerant computers each contain three identical processing units working in parallel and provide advanced fault masking by majority voting. VESDA uses gyroscopes and thrusters to turn itself around Gyroscopes do not require propellant. Rather, they use electricity to store momentum in flywheels by turning in the opposite direction to the station's movement. The United States operating section has its own computer-controlled gyroscopes to handle the extra mass of that section. When gyroscopes saturate, reaching their maximum speed, thrusters are used to cancel out the stored momentum. During Expedition 10, an incorrect command was sent to the station's computer using about 14 kilograms of propellant before the fault was noticed and fixed. When attitude control computers in the ROS and USOS failed to communicate properly, It can result in a rare force flight where the Russian center computer must ignore the United States counterpart, which has no thrusters. When an ATV, NASA shuttle, or Soyuz is docked to the station, it too can also be used to maintain station attitude, such as for troubleshooting, Shuttle control was used exclusively during the installation of the S3-S4 truss, which provided electrical power and data infrastructure for the station's electronics. The components of the International Space Station are operated and monitored by their respective space agencies at mission control centers across the globe, including Roscosmos Mission Control Center at Korolyov, Moscow. Oblast controls the Russian orbital segment, which handles guidance, navigation, and control for the entire station, in addition to individual Soyuz and Progress mission. European Space Agency's ATV Control Center in Toulouse Space Center in Toulouse, France, controls flights of the unmanned European Automated Transfer Vehicle. JAXA's Japanese Equipment Management Control Center and HTV Control Center at Tsukuba Space Center in Tsukuba, Japan, are responsible for operating the Japanese Experimental Module Complex and all flights of the White Stork, HTV cargo spacecraft, respectively. NASA's Mission Control Center at Lyndon B. Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, serves as the primary control facility for the United States segment of the International Space Station and also controlled the space shuttle missions that visited the station. NASA Payload Operation and Integration Center at Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama, coordinates payload operations in the United States section. The European Space Agency's Columbus Control Center at the German Aerospace Center in Oberpfaffenhofen, Germany, manages the European Columbus Research Laboratory. CSA's MSS Control at Saint Hubert, Quebec, Canada, controls and monitors the mobile servicing system of Canada Arm 2. Orbital replacement units, or ORUs, are spare parts that can be readily replaced when a unit either passes its design life or fails. Example of ORUs are pumps, storage tanks, controller boxes, antennas, and battery units. Some units can be replaced using robotic arms. Many are stored outside the station, either on small pallet called express logistics carriers or share larger platforms called external storage platforms, which also hold science experiments. Both kind of pallets have electricity, as many parts of which could be damaged by the cold of space require heating. The larger logistic carriers also have computer local area network connections and telemetry to connect experiments. A heavy emphasis on stocking the U.S. side with ORUs occurred during 2011, before the end of the NASA shuttle program. As its commercial replacement, Cygnus and Dragon carry one-tenth to one quarter of the payload. Unexpected problems and failures have impacted the station's assembly timeline and work schedules, leading the periods to of reduced capabilities and, in some cases, could have forced abandonment of the station for safety reasons had these problems not been resolved. During STS-120 in the year 2007, following the relocation of the P-6 truss and SOLAR's arrays, it was noted that during the redeployment of the array that it had become torn and was not deploying properly. An EVA was carried out by Scott Parazynski assisted by Douglas Wheelock. The men took extra precautions to reduce the risk of electrical shock as repairs were carried out with the solar array exposed to sunlight. The issues with the array were followed in the same year by problems with the starboard solar alpha rotary joint, which rotates the array on the starboard side of the station. Excessive vibration and high current spikes in the array drive motors were noted, resulting in a decision to substantially curtail motion of the starboard SARJ until the cause was understood. Inspections during the EVAs of STS-120 and STS-123 showed extensive contamination from metallic shavings And debris in the large drive gear and confirmed damage to the large metallic race ring at the heart of the joint and so the joint was locked to prevent further damage. Repairs to the joint were carried out during STS 126 with lubricant of both joints and the replacement of 11 out of 12 trundle bearings on the joint. In the year 2009 saw damage to the S-1 radiator, one of the components of the station's cooling system. The problem was first noticed in Soyuz imagery in September 2008, but was thought not to be serious. The imagery showed that the surface of the one sub-panel has peeled back from the underlying central structure, possibly due to micrometeoroid or debris impact. It is also known that a service module thruster cover, jettisoned during an EVA in 2008, had struck the S1 radiator, but its effect, if any, had not been determined. On May 15, 2009, the damaged radiator panel's ammonia tubing was mechanically shut off from the rest of the cooling system by the computer-controlled closure of a valve. The same valve was used immediately afterwards to vent the ammonia from the damaged panel, eliminating the possibility of an ammonia leak from the cooling system via the damaged panel. Early on August 1, 2010, a failure in cooling loop A on the starboard side, one of two external cooling loops, left the station with only half of its normal cooling capacity and zero redundancy in some systems. The problems appeared to be in the ammonia pump module that circulates the ammonia cooling fluid. Several subsystems, including two of the four CMGs, were shut down. Planned observations on the International Space Station were interrupted through a series of EVAs to address the cooling system issue. At first, the first EVA on August 7, 2010, to replace the failed pump module was not fully completed due to an ammonia leak in one of the four quick disconnects. A second EVA on August 11th successfully removed the failed pump module and a third EVA was required to restore Loop A to normal functionality. The United States cooling system is largely built by the American company Boeing, which is also the manufacturer of the failed pump. An air leak from the United States side of the station in 2004 The venting of the fumes from the electron oxygen generator in 2006 and the failure of the computers in the Russian side in 2007 during STS-117 left the station without thruster and other environmental control operating systems, the root cause of which was found to be condensation inside the electrical connectors leading to a short circuit. The four Main Bus Switching Units, or MBSUs, located in the S-Zero truss, control the routing of power from the four solar array rings to the rest of the ISS. In the late 2011s, the Main Bus Switching Unit, one, while still routing power correctly, ceased responding to commands or sending data confirming its health, and was scheduled to be swapped out at the next available EVA. In each main bus switching unit, two power channels feed 160 volt DC from the arrays to two DC to DC power converters that supply the 124 volt power used at the station. A spare main bus switching unit was already on board, but on August 30th, 2012, the EVA failed to be completed when a bolt being tightened to finish installation of the spare unit jammed before electrical connection was secured. The loss of main bus switching unit one limits the station to 75% of its normal power capacity, requiring minor limitations in normal operations until the problem can be addressed. As of September 2, 2012, a second EVA to tighten the bulky bolt, completing the installation of the replacement of the main bus switching unit 1 in an attempt to restore full power, had been scheduled for Wednesday. Yet in its meanwhile, a third solar array wing had gone offline due to some fault in that array's direct current switching unit or its associated system, further reducing space station power to just five of the eight solar array wings for the first time in several years. On September 5, 2012, in a second six-hour EVA to replace MBSU-1, astronauts Sunita Williams and Akikio Hoshide successfully restored the ISS to 100% power. On December 24, 2013, astronauts made a rare Christmas Eve spacewalk, installing a new ammonia pump for the station's cooling system. The faulty cooling system had failed earlier in the month, halting many of the station's science experiments. Astronauts had to brave a mini-blizzard of noxious ammonia while installing the new pump. It was only the second Christmas Eve spacewalk in NASA history. Progress M25M was the 58th Progress spacecraft to arrive at the space station. 35 flights of the retired NASA space shuttle were also made to the station. There have been five European ATV flights, four Japanese Tourie White Stork flights, five SpaceX Dragon flights, and three OSC Cygnus flights, all to the space station. All Russian spacecraft and self propelled modules are all rendezvoused and docked into the space station without human intervention using the KURS docking system. Radar allows these vehicles to detect and intercept the International Space Station from over 200 kilometers away. The European ATV uses star sensors and GPS to determine its intercept course. When it catches up to it, it then uses laser equipment to optically recognize VESDA, along with the KURS system for redundancy. Crews supervise these craft, but they do not intervene except to send abort command in emergencies. The Japanese H-2 transfer vehicle parks itself in progressively closer orbits to the station and then awaits approach commands from the crew until it is close enough for a robotic arm to grapple and berth the vehicle to the United States side of the space station. The American space shuttle was manually docked and on missions with cargo containers the containers would be berthed to the station with the use of the manual robotic arm. Berth craft can transfer international standard payload racks. Japanese spacecraft berth for one to two months. Russian and European supply craft can remain at the space station for six months, allowing greater flexibility in crew time for loading and unloading of supplies and trash. NASA space shuttles could remain docked for only 11 to 12 days. The American manual approach to docking allows greater initial flexibility and less complexity. The downside to this mode of operation is that each mission becomes unique and requires specialized training and planning, making the process more labor-intensive and expensive. The Russians pursued an automated methodology that used the crew in override or monitoring roles. Although the initial development costs were high, the system had become very reliable, with standardizations that provided significant cost benefits in repetitive routine operations. An automated approach could allow assembly of modules orbiting other worlds prior to crew arrival. Soyuz spacecraft used for crew rotation also serve as lifeboats for emergency evacuations. They are replaced every six months and have been used once to remove excess crew after the Columbia disaster. Expeditions require an average of 3,000 kilograms of supplies, and as of March 9, 2011, crews had consumed a total of around 22,000 meals. Soyuz crew rotation flights and progress resupply flights visit the station on an average two and three times respectively each year and the European ATV and HTV planned to visit annually, from 2010 onwards. Following retirement of the NASA shuttle, Cygnus and Dragon were contracted to fly cargo to the station. On February 26, 2011, to March 7, 2011, four of the governmental partners The United States, the European Space Agency, Japan and Russia had their spacecraft, NASA Shuttle, European ATV, Japanese HTV and the Russian Progress and Soyuz, knocked to the International Space Station. This is the only time this has happened. On May 25, 2012, SpaceX became the world's first privately held company to send cargo via the Dragon spacecraft to the International Space Station. Prior to a ship's docking to the ISS, Navigation and Attitude Control, or GNC, is handed over to ground control of the ship's country of origin. Navigation and Attitude Control is set to allow the station to drift in space rather than fire its thrusters or turn using gyroscopes. The solar panels of the station are tuned edged on to the incoming ships so residue from its thrusters does not damage the cells. When a NASA shuttle knocked to the station, other ships were grounded as the carbon wingtip cameras cut windows and instruments aboard the shuttle were at too much risk from damage from thruster residue from other ship movements. Approximately 30% of NASA's Shuttle launch delays were caused by poor weather. Occasionally, priority was given to the Soyuz arrivals at the station, where the Soyuz carried crew with time-critical cargo, such as biological experiment materials, also causing shuttle delays. Departure of the NASA shuttle was often delayed or prioritized according to weather over its two landing sites. Whilst the Soyuz is capable of landing anywhere, anytime, Its planned landing time and place is chosen to give consideration to helicopter pilots and ground recovery crews to give acceptable flying weather and lighting conditions. Soyuz launches occur in adverse weather conditions. However, the Cosmodrome had been shut down on occasions when buried by snowdrifts of up to 6 meters or 18 feet, hampering ground operations. What is life like aboard the space station? A typical day for the crew begins with a wake-up at 6 a.m., followed by post-sleep activities and a morning inspection of the station. The crew then eats breakfast and takes part in a daily planning conference with mission control before starting work around 8.10 a.m. The first scheduled exercise of the day follows after which the crew continues to work out until 13.05 hours. Following a one-hour lunch break, the afternoon consists of more exercise and work before the crew carries out its pre-sleep activities beginning at 19.30 hours, including dinner and a crew conference. The scheduled sleep period begins at 21.30 sharp. In general, the crew works 10 hours per day on a weekday and five hours on Saturday, with the rest of the time their own for relaxation or work catch-up. The station provides crew quarters for each member of the expedition's crew, with two sleep stations in the Zvezda and four more installed in Harmony. The American quarters are quite nice. They are private, approximately person-sized soundproof booths. The Russian crew quarters include a small window, but do not provide the same amount of ventilation or block the same amount of noise as their American counterparts. (laughs) A crew member can sleep in a crew quarter in a tethered sleeping bag, listen to music, use a laptop, and store personal items in a large drawer or nets attached to the module's wall. The module also provides a reading lamp, a shelf, and a desktop. Believe it or not, visiting crew members have no allocated sleeping module and attach a sleeping bag to an available space on a wall of the space station. It is possible to sleep floating freely through the station, but this is generally avoided because the possibility of bumping into sensitive equipment. It is important that crew accommodations be well-ventilated. Otherwise, astronauts can wake up in oxygen-deprived and gasping for air because of a bubble of their own exhaled carbon dioxide has formed around their head in the microgravity of space. One of the most important things on the space station is food. Most of the food on board is vacuum-sealed in plastic bags. Cans are too heavy and expensive to transport, so they're not as many. The preserved food is generally not held in high regard by the crew, and when combined with the reduced sense of taste in microgravity environment, a great deal of effort is made to make the food more palatable. More spices are used than in regular cooking here on Earth, and the crew looks forward to the arrival of any ships from Earth as they bring fresh fruit and vegetables with them. Care is taken that foods do not create crumbs. Sauces are often used to ensure station equipment is not contaminated. Each crew member has an individual food packages and cooks them using onboard galley. The galley features two food warmers, a refrigerator that was added in November of 2008, and a water dispenser that provides both heated and unheated water. Drinks are provided in dehydrated powder form and are mixed with water before consumption. Drinks and soups are sipped from plastic bags with straws, while solid food is eaten with a knife and fork, which, by the way, are attached to a tray with magnets to prevent them from floating away. Any food that does float away, including crumbs, must be collected to prevent it from clogging up the station's air filter and other equipment. Another part, part of the space station is hygiene. Showers on space stations were induced, introduced in the early 1970s, on Skylab and Solliette 3. But by Solliette 6 in the early 1980s, the crews complained of the complexity of showering in space, which was a monthly activity. Oh boy. The ISS does not feature a shower. Instead, crew members wash using a water jet and wet wipes with soap dispensed from toothpaste-like tube containers. Crews are also provided with rinseless shampoo, and edible toothpaste to save water. There are two space toilets on the space station, both of Russian design, located on the Vesda and Tranquility. These waste and hygiene compartments use a fan-driven suction system similar to the space shuttle waste collection system. Astronauts first fasten themselves to the toilet seat, which is equipped with a spring-loaded restraining bar to ensure good seal. A lever operates a powerful fan, and a suction hole glides open. The airstream carries the waste away. Solid waste is collected in individual bags, which are stored in an aluminum container. Full containers are transferred to Progress spacecraft for disposal. Liquid waste is evacuated by hose connected to the front of the toilet, with anatomically correct urine funnel adapters attached to the tube so both men and women can use the same toilet. Waste is collected and transferred to the Waste Water Recovery System, where it is recycled back into drinking water. The International Space Station is partially protected from the space environment by the Earth's magnetic field, From an average distance of about 70,000 kilometers, depending on solar activity, the magnetosphere begins to deflect solar wind around the Earth and space station. However, solar flares are still a hazard to the crew, who may receive only a few minutes' warning. The crew of Expedition 10 took shelter as a precaution in 2005 in a more heavily shielded part of the Russian segment, designed for this purpose during the initial proton storm of an X3-class solar flare. But, without the limited protection of the Earth's magnetosphere, interplanetary manned missions are especially vulnerable. Subatomic charged particles, primarily protons from cosmic rays and solar wind, are normally absorbed by the Earth's atmosphere. When they interact in sufficient quantity, their effect becomes visible to the naked eye in a phenomena called an aurora. Without the protection of the Earth's atmosphere, which absorbs this radiation, crews are exposed to about one millisievert each day, which is about the same as someone would get in a year on Earth from natural sources. This result in a higher risk of astronauts developing cancer. Radiation can penetrate living tissue, damage DNA, and cause damage to chromosomes. These cells are central to the immune system, and so any damage to them can contribute to the lowered immunity experienced by astronauts. Radiation has also been linked to higher incidence of cataracts in astronauts. Protective shielding and protective drugs may lower the risk to an acceptable level. The radiation levels experienced on the space station are about five times greater than those experienced by airline passengers and crew. The Earth's electromagnetic field provides almost the same level of protection against solar and other radiations in low Earth orbit as in the atmosphere. Airline passengers, however, experience this level of radiation for no more than 15 hours for the longest intercontinental flights. For example, on a 12-hour flight, an airline passenger would experience 0.1 milliservits of radiation or a rate of 0.2 milliservits per day, only one-fifth the rate experienced by an astronaut in a low Earth orbit. Stress is also another component. There has been considerable evidence that Psychosocial stressors are among the most important impediments to optimal crew morale and performance. Cosmonaut Valery Rumian wrote in his journal during a particularly difficult period on board the Russian space station Salyut 6, All the conditions are necessary for murder are met if you shut two men in a cabin measuring 18 feet by 20 and leave them there together for two months. NASA's interest in psychological stress caused by space travel initially studied when their manned missions began. This was rekindled when astronauts joined cosmonauts on Russian space stations' mirror. Common sources of stress in early American missions included maintaining high performance under public scrutiny, as well as isolation from peers and family. The latter is still often a cause of stress on the space station, such as when the mother of NASA astronaut Daniel Tanney died in a car accident and when Michael Fink was forced to miss the birth of his second child. A study of the longest space flight concluded that the first three weeks represent a critical period where attention is adversely affected because of the demand to adjust to the extreme change of the environment. While Skylab's three's crews re- remained one, two, and three months respectively, long term crews for the Salyut 6, Salyut 7, and the ISS last about five to six months, while the Mir spacecraft expeditions often lasted even longer. The space station working environment includes further stress caused by living and working in cramped conditions with people from different cultures who speak a different language. First-generation space stations had crews who spoke a single language, while second- and third-generation stations have crews from many cultures who speak many languages. The space station is unique because visitors are not classed automatically into host or guest categories, as with previous stations and spacecraft, and may not suffer from feelings of isolation in the same way. Crew members with military pilot background and those with academic science background, or teachers and politicians, may have pop problems understanding each other's jargon and worldview. According to a 2009 report, the Space Corporation Energia is considering methods to remove from the station some modules of the Russian orbital segment when the end of mission is reached and use them as a basis for a new station known as the Orbital Piloted Assembly and Experiment Complex, or OPSEC. The modules under consideration for removal from the current station include the Multi-purpose laboratory module, currently scheduled to be launched in 2017, with other Russian modules which are currently planned to be attached to the MLM afterwards. Neither the MLM nor any additional modules attached to it would have reached the end of their useful lives in 2016 or 2020. The report represents a statement from the unnamed Russian engineer who believes, based on his experience from Mir, A 30-year life should be possible, except for micrometeorite damage, because the Russian modules have been built with on-orbit refurbishment in mind. According to the Outer Space Treaty, the United States and Russians are legally responsible for all modules they have launched. In ISS planning, NASA examined options including returning the station to Earth via shuttle missions deemed too expensive as the station is not designed for disassembly and will require at least 27 shuttle missions and the shuttle is no longer in flight natural orbit decay with random re-entry similar to Skylab boosting the station to a higher altitude which would simply delay another re-entry and a controlled target deorbit to a remote ocean area The technical feasibility of a controlled target deorbit into a remote ocean was found to be possible only with the Russians helping. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the sapphire planet.